our truth or imitation, and we're going to deal with the word mercy. And the reason why we're going to spend time in the book of Jonah is uh, let's just look at uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. This is part of Jonah's prayer. We'll get there in a few moments. Inside the belly of the whale, he said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And uh, what we have here is Jonah, who was a prophet of God. Uh, Jesus used uh, the example or the sign of Jonah to present to the people of his day. He said, this is the sign that's going to be given you. And if you don't believe that, then you're not going to have life. And, of course, they'd already made up their mind they weren't going to believe. And uh, yet, here we have Jonah, uh, a man whom we have every expectation of seeing on the right side of eternity. But you talk about a miserable human being. I mean, he is presented to us... uh, in the bright daylight of reality, and and Jonah just doesn't look too good, does he? Uh, And as we talk about mercy, God's mercy, whether we have true mercy or an imitation, I, I want us to start with the fact that Jonah, whom we have every expectation of seeing in heaven, had removed himself from much of God's mercy that was to be extended to him in his life. And it is very easy for us as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to pull a Jonah, we might say. And so what we want to do is first just examine the story and then go through and then try to make some uh, uh, draw some truths from from the story and then apply it to our lives today. And so we're just starting verse 1, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So Joseph, Jonah gets a message. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He says, I want you to travel to Nineveh. I want you to preach to the people of Nineveh. Their wickedness has come up before me. And we're not going to take a lot of time here with all the details. But if you'll remember in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, an angel was sent to him and said, Thine alms and thy prayers are come up before me. And therefore, God gave him specific instruction to go find a preacher named Peter and invite him to come from Joppa to Caesarea Philippi and tell Cornelius and those assembled in his house what they should do. So, we we see that God is paying attention to what goes on in the world. And the wickedness of Nineveh had come up before him. And he said, I'm going to give them one last chance. I'm going to send them a prophet of God. Now, this is highly unusual because Jonah was a Jewish prophet. Amen? Uh, most of the prophets, their, their main message of God's repentance and forgiveness was toward the Jewish people. 
Uh, you read in Isaiah, and he, he goes chapter after chapter, woe to the Edomites, and woe to the Egyptians, and woe to the uh, all these different people, and pronounces, and then he goes, woe to Israel, and pronounces judgment on them. But Jonah was unique in the fact that God had sent him to the heathens to preach repentance. And there's no evidence that the people of Nineveh ever became Jewish. But they did repent of their sins and they changed their works and God postponed his judgment. Jonah is an incredible story. If you ever doubt the mercy and the greatness of God, you need to spend some time in the book of Jonah. And Jonah gives his own testimony that those that uh, believe or listen to um, let me get to observe lying vanities. He said they forsake their own mercy. Is it possible as a believer in Jesus Christ to observe lying vanities? Yeah. Paul talks about people who have uh, made shipwreck of their ministry. He talks about even himself. Lest I should be a castaway. There's an awful lot here in the book of Jonah. And so, as we go through the page, the pages of this book, Jonah got the message. Go to Nineveh. Verse 3. But Jonah. Now, that's always bad. When the word of the Lord comes and gives direction, and then you see but... You know, you're in trouble. And so we know Jonah's going to get in trouble. And of course, most of us have been through the book of Jonah more than once. We know what kind of trouble he got himself into. But uh, Jonah decided that he was going to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's what your King James Bible says. How far can you get from the presence of the Lord? Uh, we believe God, the Bible teaches us that God is omnipresent. Now, what that means is simply everywhere present. If you have any questions about that, read John chapter 3, just a few verses before John 3.16. Jesus is talking there, and he says, No man has ascended up into heaven, but the Son of Man which is in heaven. Well, wait a minute, Jesus was standing right there in front of them. But as God, he was in heaven at the same time. Uh, He is God, and that's part of him. And and so we see how silly this is. Do you think running from the presence of God could be considered a lying vanity? Uh, I think so. Uh, it's a lie, number one, and it's nothingness. there's nothing to it. I mean, it's not even a good lie. How can you flee from the omnipresent God? I mean, David had said, no matter where I go, thou art there. He said, I could cover myself in darkness, but you're going to see me in the Psalms. And so Jonah flees from the Lord. And then Jonah finds himself in a very strange situation. And i just like to point this down. Jonah's path was down, down to Joppa, 
down into the ship. And, of course, he had to pay the fare. He went down into the bottom of the fish. He went down into the troubled sea. I mean, he went down into the bottom of the boat first. And then down into the troubled sea. And then down into the fish. And then the fish went down to the very bottom of the ocean. And if you could imagine all of the pressure that was there as those hundreds of tons per square inch uh, would... uh, uh, they literally crush our our, our most in, incredible ships and things that we have, submarines. But seals and whales and things like that can dive to those incredible depths and come back up without a decompression chamber. Maybe God did something right when he made them. Amen? And poor Jonah, he got to endure all of that. Why? Because he had forsaken God's mercy. He was going to do it Jonah's way. He did not want his enemy to benefit. Do you think this is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Love thine enemies? Is to give them the gospel? Isn't that the greatest form of love that we can have? And so here is Jonah. Jonah knew something. He knew when God's word went places, when God sent one of his men, there was a reason behind it. And usually good things happen when God's man shows up. Even Ahab averted God's judgment. Uh, to the very end of his life by going softly and, and, and changing his behavior in the sight of God. I mean, Jonah, Jonah knew all these things. Actually, he may have been a little before Ahab. We're not sure about all that. But the God was, go, was in uh, making a decision to destroy The people of Nineveh and Jonah wanted it to happen. Now, you'll never find that in the Bible anywhere. God does not want us to rejoice when our enemy falls. You read some of those Psalms, and David is pretty forthright when he says, I pray that God will bring judgment upon those that are that are harming me and and trying to keep me from doing the things that I ought to do. But then there are other passages where he talks about when they were sick, I mourned for them and I prayed for them. When when they wanted, uh, when they had problems, I, I was praying for them, but now I'm having problems. These very same people are attacking me. And so... Uh, he did not want God to bless them, so Jonah ran. And I always want to bring this out. You think you can get around God. Jonah had it all worked out. He would get on the boat and head the opposite direction. God sent a storm. Jonah was asleep. He wasn't paying attention. Well, let me tell you, the other people on the boat were paying attention. Then Jonah had to do some explaining. He was down in the bottom of the ship 
sleeping while all of their lives were in danger. How could he do that? How, how could Jonah just be so unconcerned with everything that was going on around him? Is that the hallmark of God's servants? To be careless when other people's lives are in danger, including your own? Jonah wasn't worried about dying. In fact, he was hoping that was going to happen. And when the ship didn't sink, he told the people to throw him overboard. He said, listen, I'm going to die and you're not going to get me to go to Nineveh. And God was laughing. Because God already knew. And did you read one of the reasons why God saved them? Did you read the prayer of the men? Look what it says there. Verse 14, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it hath as it pleased thee. They said, Lord, we don't want to be responsible for this man's death. And God was saying, answered, he's not going to die. Uh, you're not going to be responsible for anything. And as Jonah felt the waves and the water uh, close over him, he may have even been one of those people who just resigned to die a simple death and stopped trying to swim and let himself sink. And then all of a sudden everything just went to black. You know what? There's no light inside the fish. And he's going, here it is. I'm dead. And we've been over this many times as we go through the book of Jonah, but... Sometime you ought to try this. Just take your watch off, go into a room where there's no clock of any kind, and see if you can guess 15 minutes. And if you really want to make it a frightful experience, just turn out the light. And just sit there and see if you can guess 15 minutes. You'll probably guess two or three. And, and you'll... And, because we need things. Time does a lot to keep us sane. When you get off balance nights and days and you can't tell what time it is, and that's one of the tortures that, that has been often used to extract information from prisoners by giving them time disorientation. They leave a light on 24 hours in the cell and they don't let them see outside at all and they cut them off from any uh, mention of time and, and uh, it, it will make your imprisonment seem eternal when it's only been a few days. Jonah was inside that belly of the whale. It says three days and three nights. Then there's that faithful word, fateful word, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. And he prayed from inside the fish's belly. 
And God had mercy on the fish. And the fish spit Jonah out. Could you imagine what that kind of bellyache that poor fish had with that sour, ill-repentant preacher just full of hatred and disobedience. I mean, he didn't digest well. He didn't digest at all. And uh, the whale spit him out upon the ground and Jonah went to Nineveh. And let's just finish the story. The Bible tells us that Nineveh was uh, a city of three days' journey. Uh, that, uh, as far as we can tell, that meant that it would have taken three days to go around the city. A three-day walk. That was a huge, huge city. He walked one day into the city, which, if you know anything about circles... Roughly the center of the city, uh, as pi is 3.14 times the radius of a circle, or uh, I think it's something like that, circumference, uh, 2 pi r, something like that. And anyway, it works out that Jonah was about the middle of the city. And imagine what he looked like, having been subject to the acidic juices inside the fish and the seaweed and all of those things, he must have looked and smelled quite uh, unusual. And he began to preach that you have 40 days to live and God's going to destroy this city. In verse 5, let's just read this. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Verse 6, chapter 3 For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man... And beast, be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? I love verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Isn't that a wonderful story? Stop and think about being the agent of God that changed an entire city for a generation. The best we can understand, uh, Jonah is not dated, but he was one of the earliest of the prophets, uh, probably as much as 150 years before God would destroy Nineveh uh, through the Babylonians. But before Nineveh, Nineveh was destroyed, it would be the armies of the Assyrians. That was their capital, Nineveh, that would come and destroy the ten northern nations. That's about 150 or so years off at this point. God was going to destroy them now, but because of Jonah's preaching, God did not. 
Because that generation repented. I have hope to see the king of Nineveh in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Talk about God's mercy. There it is. And Jonah, he's upset. He's angry. He walks out. He doesn't even stay for the revival. He walks out in verse 4. It said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, once you make that decision that you want to die, it's sometimes hard to reverse it. Now, God wasn't ready for Jonah to die. Jonah was going to live the rest of his life, whatever that would have been. But... Jonah was upset with God for being the agent that brought God's mercy to an entire city. And at the end of chapter 4, we're going to see that there were more than six score, 120,000 children. Little children that could not discern between their right or their left. I don't know if you're challenged that way, but some adults are. I'm all the time, yeah, make a left here. No, the other left. And uh, But, but uh, this reference is to little children who are not old enough to tell their right from their left. 120,000 children. Stop and think about that. If you had three or four or, all, I mean, divide that out. If you had ten children in each family, which would have been rather unusual, then you have... 12,000 sets of parents and grandparents on top of that. And I mean, you stop and think about the population of this city. And God spared the entire city through the preaching of Jonah. And then we have the interesting part where Jonah actually does have pity on something. A weed. God causes it to grow up. And Jonah's sitting out there in the desert in the hot sun looking over the city of Nineveh, hoping and praying that God's going to change his mind and destroy it. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's these big green leaves and he's enjoying the shade. Wow, and then the plant dies. And the sun beats on him until he faints. And he's just laying there, kill me, kill me. And and God is coming to him. And the book ends with this. And God, verse 9 of chapter 4, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And the Lord then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored. 
neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. You know what? God even cares for the animals. Amen? Read the Sermon on the Mount. Who in this story received God's mercy? The people of Nineveh did. And they had the joy of knowing that God's judgment was commuted, that it did not come to them. But we have Jonah the one who was already a recipient of God's mercy, who had already been to the tabernacle, who already understood all these things about the grace of God. And he chides God for being merciful. Do you see how twisted Jonah is? He's concerned about the, um, uh, the plant and unconcerned about souls. Now, if that's not today's headlines, uh, I was walking through a subway station, I think downtown, visiting one of the building departments last week, and there were some guys walking up. Oh, can we... I heard the word environmental. I said, are you guys tree huggers? Oh, yes, we're tree huggers. I said, I don't have any time for any American-hating... Uh, God-hating tree-huggers, I'll talk to you later, and just kept on a-walking. And uh, you know what? When you reject God's mercy, you love the wrong things. You're more concerned with things that you want than what God wants. And you know what? That can happen in the Christian life. It's a battle that we have to face and we have to fight. Uh, with ourselves, to stop ourselves from being cut off from the mercy of God that is there. Could you imagine if Jonah had accepted this call and had gone to Nineveh and seen that great revival and rejoiced in what God wanted to do through the life of one little unknown preacher? But that was not Jonah's plight. That was not Jonah's path. You see, how do we accept mercy? What, what is mercy? Mercy is given by the victor to the vanquished. Amen? How much did God have to do to Jonah to get Jonah to quit doing what Jonah wanted to do? Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in uh, the predestination that Calvin teaches, that every deed is a predetermined thing. But I do believe in a sovereign God that's going to do His will. And He uses His people to get His will done. And if He could use Jonah... He can use me. He can use you. Whether you want to be used or not. But most of the time, 
God goes and finds someone else if you don't want to do it his way. Sometimes things don't get done that ought to be done because someone cut themselves off from God's mercy. Jonah thought, I mean, how forgiving is God? How many times did he forgive the children of Israel their wanderings in the wilderness? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what is the first thing that happens when we take a wrong turn in our life away from the things of God? Well, I'll get this straightened out and then I'll come back to church. Well, I'll get this straightened out and then, then I'll come back to serve God. Let me tell you, you can't get it straightened out and come back to serve God. Coming back to God is the only way you can get it straightened out. Amen? Serving God God's way is the only path that we have. Jonah finally did obey God. But he had lost his joy and any understanding of the goodness of God. By the way, what is the root of faith? You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How can you satisfy a man who no longer believes that God's goodness is really God's goodness? That's where Joseph found, I mean, Jonah found himself. I believe that this is a commentary in the book of Hebrews where it says, Beware of the root of bitterness springing up, thereby some are defiled. I think Jonah's a perfect example uh, of what bitterness and refusing God's mercy will do in a person's life. Joseph, I mean Joseph, I don't know why I'm doing Joseph tonight, but Jonah tried to go back on his promise to God. God had called him as a prophet. When he surrendered to that call, he said, I'm going to do whatever God says, however God says it. My message will be God's message. The penalty for preaching anything else other than God's message out of the law was death. I mean, this was very serious uh, uh, undertaking on Jonah's part when God came and gave Jonah a job to do that Jonah did not think should be done. Jonah said, I'm all done serving you because I don't want to do what you say. You know, I've met people who said, well, I knew I should have, but I didn't. And so I, okay. Sign up for Jonah. That doesn't mean you're going to be swallowed by a whale. But it could mean that you'll just be as unhappy as Jonah was. It could mean that you're cutting yourself off from God's mercy, from His forgiveness, from all the blessings that He wants to give, and even the good things that happen in your life. You're not going to be happy about it. Because you're too busy... Seeking your own. Don't volunteer to be a negative illustration of God's love. Amen? Jonah did. We, every preacher that's ever preached has preached a sermon on Jonah's bad attitude, I am sure, if they preach the Bible at all. 
And uh, so as we look through here, we find that the inhabitants of Nineveh did receive God's mercy. They repented. They understood, you know, that we don't have to explain to the world what sin is. Now, every once in a while you run into somebody and say, well, you know, I, I was raised without the Bible. I, I don't even know. The Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. And what's it going on? It lists all of those things. People know what is wrong. You have to train yourself. If you ever smoke cigarettes, you'll remember the first one was a terrible experience. The second one wasn't quite so terrible. And by the time you got through the first pack, you were doing okay, just thrown up once in a while maybe. Uh, but before long, you were hooked. Same thing is with alcohol. Same thing is with all of these things that are out there in the world. It may be fun at first, but it's you have to learn to do that. And so... We find that Jonah refused God's forgiveness. Not even death would remove him. And even when Jonah was used of God, he was more concerned about the weed than he was the souls. He was more concerned for the gourd than he was for the children. The application for us today is God's mercy is for whosoever will. Can we say amen to that? But in order to receive God's mercy, what do you have to do? You have to lose. You have to surrender. God's mercy is for those who are willing to admit that they cannot save themselves. That they've lost the battle with self, with sin, with the world. I, I, I never really uh, get a hold of how someone can go from repentance toward God in salvation to charging hell with the sword of the Spirit saying, I cast out the devil and all of these. I, I don't know how you get there. That is so convoluted. The only way you get saved is by surrendering everything you are to God. That's how you live for Him. By that continual surrender. That's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. You cannot keep part of your life. You cannot choose to be obedient in every area of your life but one and keep the joy of your salvation and enjoy God's mercy. Because God demands an unconditional surrender. Can we say amen to that? And when we receive God's mercy, it's going to change the way that we live. And if you ever find yourself in a position where you begin to question 
the wisdom of God in making a decision or something that He asks you to do, you need to read the book of Jonah. I've often said, I'm not the world's greatest preacher, but I preach the world's greatest book. Amen? And if God's made you a part of this church, we've got to surrender to pull together, to work together. Every time we see another church started, you better get ready. There's going to be some things happening. The devil is going to try to get in. He's going to try to take the joy of people. If you have a Christian in the church that has lost their joy, let me tell you something. It affects the church in a very negative way. Just one. We've got to watch because we cannot afford to stand against the world, against the devil, against ourselves without the full endowment of the mercy of God. Can we say amen to that? Every time I bring it up, You know, New York City is a city whose joys and pleasures are emphasis short-lived. The joys you can find at the bakery are only until you step on the scale afterwards, right? Uh, The the nice things that are in the city are, are only wonderful as long as you can afford them. But you know what? God's mercy is good for all eternity, is it not? Every time I've asked this question over 25 years, how many of us could use more joy in our lives? Every hand goes up. Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay. Maybe we ought to make a connection tonight. Joy, true biblical joy is the result of mercy working in our hearts. Because mercy removes self. It removes my plans. It removes my expectations. It removes my goals. Because I surrendered them to the victor, which is Jesus Christ. Now my direction is supposed to be set by Him. Amen? And the joy is... When God uses me. You see, Jonah forsook his own mercy. That doesn't mean he was being merciful on himself. He was forsaking the mercy that God had allotted him in his life. And therefore, as Paul said, he was of all men most miserable. And his affections were drawn by the most foolish things and cut off from the most precious things. And as we think about this series on what is true and what is false, when we catch ourselves being a little down, a little frustrated, a little whatever, we just need to remember Jonah. And the fact that God's mercy is there and that God will give us the joy of our salvation 
if we will accept his mercy, his way. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the story of Job. Lord, my prayer is that the story of Jonah, my, my prayer is, Lord, that we would not have any volunteer Jonas. The lesson has been taught. Lord, let us not live on the wrong side of the message of the book of Jonah. Let us receive your mercy and take it to the world in which we live at your direction with a willing heart. Help us, Lord, that we may serve you according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out for a moment, the altar's open. God's people said...